Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me, the podcast for parents of young children. And we want to share your stories and all those crazy, contradictory feelings that come with being a parent. We believe in you. You got this, even on the craziest of days. And you are most definitely not alone. Hey, listeners. The host of this podcast wants you to celebrate the messiness of life with kids. That means we don't need an expert to explain our kids to us. We just need to sit back so we can truly see, hear, and love our kids. My family has been lucky enough to attend B'nai Torah, where Karen's enthusiasm and joy for all aspects of parenting has been a breath of fresh air and always gives us hope that we can do it. Karen Deerwester believes that when we see, hear, and love the messy moments of life with kids, we're able to give our children everything they need. Karen has been a teacher, author, and a leader in early childhood education for decades, and there is nothing, nothing that doesn't make sense if we take time to connect with each child exactly where they are, and right where we are with all of our messiness, too. Here's today's podcast. Today's podcast is called Jewish Parenting in a Messy, Busy, Tech-Connected World. And for the first time ever, we are podcasting on location from Temple Tikva in New Hyde Park, New York. It's been an extraordinary weekend meeting new families, enjoying all the hospitality of this wonderful community, and feeling the shared connection we all have, learning, growing, and celebrating together. From Shabbat to new visions of see me, hear me, love me in a complicated world. Our mission this weekend was to pause and be present knowing that emotions and relationships are our superpower. And I'm sitting here with amazing superpower people. We are harnessing that power today as we face down the challenges of living in that messy, busy, tech-connected world of accelerated change and uncertainty. We've had a few days to talk about the opportunities that Shabbat gives us to reset our peace, to catch our breath, and to give a little ahava to ourselves, our children, and to one another, so that we can return to all the commitments of our lives, renewed and refreshed, reflecting light out into this world. What are the challenges and what are the obstacles? More importantly, what are the stories, the values, and the choices that help you, each one of you, to create a hopeful future for your children, for our children? This podcast is a celebration of all that is messy in the choices we make the contradictions, the ambiguity, and the iterations of deciding and redefining what is meaningful to you and your family in this moment, in this time, given your family history and your unique dreams. Let's get started. I have, I have a rectangular table today, and I have Rabbi Randy Scheinberg, Didi Horowitz, Nicole Taylor, and Victor Kahn. Yay! So I'm going to turn it over to Rabbi. Rabbi, what's Jewish parenting mean to you as a parent and a rabbi? As a parent and a rabbi, um, there are a myriad of things that I could uh, speak about. But I think the one core concept that really I try to use to guide my own parenting and to guide my teaching in uh, the temple community as well is uh, the very simple but profound concept of B'Tselem Elohim. The idea that every single individual, whether that individual is having a tantrum in front of me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> or if she is spending too much time on her phone, which is a problem of later time, teen, 
um, but to remember that that she or he is created in the image of God. And and as a parent, you know, one of the constant self-checks I try to do is to remind myself um, that my child is not me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that created in God's image means not just that they're, um, it, you know, that they're wonderful, but that they also are themselves and that I can appreciate that and appreciate that difference and also find the holiness in that. <sighs> okay. And then that other part that struck me, because I use Betzalem I'm so bad. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used it. I had it in, on, on one of my slides this week. Uh -huh. And that is, how do you use that understanding to look at yourself when you're um, not a perfect parent? Uh -huh. That is that's the, that's the key challenge, I think. Um, because I am aware daily, <laughs> and maybe some of you identify with this, but I'm aware daily of how imperfect a person I am, and, a, and especially how imperfect a parent I am. Mom, I wanted you to listen to me, not tell me this or that, right? I get that um, frequently. It's true in other relationships as well. Um, Thank you. And uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, I'll, honestly, it's easier, and I think this may be true for other people too, but it's easier for me to focus on connecting, connecting that concept to others. Mom, and then I do have to remind myself, um, I'm okay. <laughs> Not only I'm okay, but that who I am and what I'm trying to do is, is holy, enough. sacred, blessed. All of that, all of that. And that's that's what I want everyone to know from this whole weekend is you have, it, when, when a rabbi can sit with you and say, I'm not perfect, but I got this. That's a pretty profound and rejuvenating thing for all of us to be reassured. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And take it away. Um, well, Nicole. I can, can Nicole. Nicole, yes. Um, I am certainly not perfect. And a wise person once told me that your best is your best in that moment. And every moment, it's a different best. And so I try to hold on to that when I'm parenting, when I'm teaching, when I'm living, that whatever my best is in that moment, that's okay. And the next moment, it might be a totally different best. Um, oh, I and love that. Are we loving that? Yeah. And I try Tell to... Tell everybody how old your kids are. My girls are 9 and 11. Um, and what Jewish parenting means to me is giving them the values, the history that was passed along to me. It also means being open-minded to all different cultures because uh, my I was in a, a gr I grew up from a mixed marriage. Uh, my dad was Catholic, my mom was Jewish. Um, so we celebrated everything when I was a child. My husband is from Jamaica and he grew up Seventh-day Adventist and so we try to put together all those different cultures, all those different backgrounds, and see what, what values go, can be found across all those boundaries and give that to our kids. And not to put you on the spot, yeah. but which of those values come to the forefront for you? Um, acceptance, uh, love, open-mindedness, caring. Yeah. That's what's most important to me. Thank you, thank you. 
Okay, we're gonna squeeze Victor in the middle of this. He uh, got roped into it because we've had to have that dad voice on the panel. So we are enormously grateful for his presence. Tell us how old your children are and Jewish parenting for you in this world. My boys are 28 year olds. Gonna be nine, what, next month? Um, the trick is to learn that um, you have to adapt every day. They're adapting, you adapt every day. Um, you just have to keep in mind, you're not, you gotta teach them, like Nicole said, open-mindedness. So they're friends, they have a wide variety of different types of you know, um, friends, you know, different cultures and stuff, and they just adapt, and they just accept. They're not prejudiced, and when they see something on TV, they ask why this, and you're like, well, you know, it's just people talk. And what's it mean to be a Jewish family? I mean, your family was right here with us all weekend, as, as all of you were. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's, that's not easy to add. And I don't think, I, did, I never felt this weekend like you guys were adding on a Jewish piece to your lives. I felt like this community is interwoven into who you are, what you do, and how you're raising your children. So what's, what's your perspective on how, you, how, how this fits into your lives. It's okay. Yeah. I gotta think. Okay. <laughs> Are you trying to come up with the right answer? Yes. <laughs> There's your no right answer. Your wife will not be upset. No. <laughs> no, See, it's... If, you, if you were at the small table, we would just, your wife would actually be holding up a whiteboard that would say, say this, and she would be prompting you. So um, this is a little bit harder. Yeah, no, but it's just honestly, truly, yeah. it's, is it, is, do you do it because you think it's going to support your boys? Do you think it's because it makes your wife happy? Is it because it's All an easy above. community? All of the above. Yeah, but what's it mean to you personally? What, what, how'd you get here? How'd you get here to raising these boys this far along, Jewishly, in whatever that might mean? I know. Um, Were you raised Jewish? I was raised Jewish, but it's like every... Um, generation seems to be, you know, less religious. Like my mother was differently religious, differently. maybe. Like I just remember my grandparents were weren't ultra religious, but you know, like temple here, temple there. My mother would drag us to, you know, services for Yom Kippur and I'd sit there all day and go, Why am I here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, uh, you know, whatever. And then as, you know, we I grew older or whatever, I was like, I got involved here, and I was like, oh, you know what, let's move it the other way. Instead of being less involved, you become more involved. How old were your boys when you got involved here? Two. Two. And I'm going to turn it over, I'm going to ask, let Rabbi jump in on this after I make a comment. But my impression of that is, and, and part of what I want to say to the listeners out there, is that when we think of what Jewish parenting might mean, everybody, I think the initial reaction is, not me, not my parents' Judaism. It's like, I got dragged to, to shul. I, I went to services. But it didn't mean anything. And then you pulled back and you separated yourself. And then you went, but, but now you were like, maybe we're not Jewish enough to answer this question. But at the same time, you found a connection that is 
truly meaningful. You're not going to participate in something that's not meaningful, but you made it meaningful for you. And for the last six years, you've been raising boys in a way that has a huge effect and impact on their future. Rabbi, what's your take on that? His struggle to answer the question and his answer. I mean, I think that that I think you hit on it, Karen, because I think um, I'm looking at around at who is here with us, and every one of us has come um, to this this community and to our Jewishness in our own way, in our own path. And and um, you know, I had a teacher years ago who taught me that there are many gates. That's the Jewish image many gates into um, Judaism. And part of, I think part of what it means to be a parent actually, is to be comfortable in saying that your way is as authoritative as any other. And, and I think that that's, um, it's also part of the liberal Jewish movement, but I think that um, we as a generation of parents, or maybe this is true with everyone, are kind of reclaiming what what is meaningful in in the Jewish faith, and what is it that we're how, what is the way that we're going to do it? And I can tell you that you know millennials of are doing that as parents. The, the current generation of teens and you know those in their early twenties are figuring out what what kind of communities they want. And none of it looks the way it did the generation before, <laughs> nor should it. And as the parenting person on the panel. I love that idea. That's really the, the liberating message for all of us is start with your own voice. Start, start where you are and then watch and see where it takes you because it's going to take you somewhere phenomenal because it's, it's from your honest place. Thank you. Okay, Didi. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Uh, you remember the question? It was what does Jewish <laughs> parenting mean to you? But it's also who are you, who are your children, and, and what matters to you? Um, okay, I have two children. My daughter is seven. My son is 12 years old. Um, he has autism. And so that kind of took everything that we thought we were going to do as parents and kind of shook it up a whole, whole lot. Um, my husband and I are both Jewish. We were both raised um, Jewish very differently. Um, I grew up going to temple every week. I learned how to read Torah when I was like seven years old. Um, my husband, they came, you know, they were the, we come for high holidays and that's about it kind of family. Um, and so Jewish parenting also is taking that marriage of how we both grew up and trying to figure out how we can teach our children about who they are and where they come from, but not stepping on each other's toes. Like I can't say to him, I want them to grow up the exact same way I did, and he can't do the same. We have to find the balance. Um, Which is a podcast all by itself. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it started also that with my son, he had a lot of language issues when he was little. And to then throw um, an even more unfamiliar language at him um, was something that was a big struggle for us. We didn't really push um, coming to services or finding the right home for a temple because we were just trying to get him to speak. We were just trying to get him to understand what was happening in school. And he got to an age where he said, you know what? I know people who are having bar and bat mitzvahs. When am I going to have mine? Wow. And that was a moment for us. And that's when we really started trying to find a home. And, you know, I mean, 
it, it was it was really um, a long road finding that home. We went to some places. We live in Queens, not in Long Island. We went to some places near us, and I mean, anybody that knows my kid knows that he is one of the most mild-mannered, um, easygoing um, kids in the world, and we went to places, and they, they were intimidated by him. They were scared by him, and uh, I tell this story all the time, Rabbi, but the first time that I came here with Andrew, um, we sat in the rabbi's office with Rabbi and with Sharon and um, talked, and then the rabbi's phone rang, and my son answered it. <laughs> and he just kept saying, no, this is Andrew. I'm in the office. No, no, this is Andrew. And I was sitting there mortified. I was like, these people are never going to call me back. They are never going to talk to me again. And like a week later, I got a call saying, we would love to have Andrew in Hebrew school here. We have this grant that will take care of a one-to-one -one for him. And... Now he has his bar mitzvah coming up in March, and he's going to do amazing. It's so beautiful. And so that's where I want to go next with everyone. And that idea of we've been talking about see me, hear me, love me, both for our children and for ourselves. Let's talk about it in terms of finding those communities that support us and what you want and we're looking for. I mean, piggybacking on that, uh, I'll let you just say like the most important thing um, that you wanted to be seen, heard, and acknowledged about as a family when this community embraced you. Um, that every child is different and that what works for one kid is not going to work for every kid. And if Hebrew is something that's very important, he will try, but if it struggles for him, then what can we do to support him? And also the fact that I have a daughter who is typical, and it needs to be a good balance for her as well. It has to be home. And, and what I know, what I saw here this weekend, humor, silliness, loudness. I mean, it wasn't like every, nobody was put in a box. Nobody was, was put in a place that's, and I think that is the resilience and the resourcefulness of, of finding a place that's got your back. Um, Rabbi, what do you want to be for families? And then I'll come to um, everybody else. So we have a tagline for our temple that calls it a house of worship that feels like home something familiar to everyone. And, and we debated about that because some people say, well, home? You know, sometimes home <laughs> is not always a place you want to be. It gets messy. Uh, right. Um, but I, I really love it. And I really think that um, at our best, we are a place where everybody finds a place here, feels that sense of being at home, which isn't always easy to do. And yes, it does get messy. And sometimes there's like challenges in the different classes. There's challenges among uh, us adults sometimes too, but but that's well, and that's really what I've seen. I'm going to put you on the spot, so mm -hmm. take a breath, so you know like how you want to politically answer this. Okay. But 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 it's that idea of you know when you describe a potentially disruptive child personality, that's what I see. You know, there's the Keveller articles, there's the Facebook articles, there's this. You know, my child was my toddler was shushed. My 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 toddler that was running on the bima was asked to sit and st be still and and. and and there were older congregants that maybe weren't as, didn't know what, you know, I mean, they, whatever it was disrupted, whatever that disruption meant. How do you help everyone feel um, 
Because that's the, that's the messiness, whether you're in a family or whether it's, it's a congregation, is everybody has different needs, everybody has different expectations and wants, and we want to hold all of them up. <laughs> right, right, that is the challenge. I mean, I think it's very easy to say the right answer. The, yeah, right? We know the right, the right answer answers. is everybody's needs matter, <laughs> and, uh, and we respect and tolerate all. And of course, to really make that uh, come alive in a community is not so easy because sometimes the needs do actually conflict. I mean, services are a prime example because there are some people who really like a level of decorum that say, you know, so-and-so is running, so-and-so's um, climbing the walls. Um, and then there are other people who are like, um, I want to come in jeans and I want to come with my family and be as uh, totally comfortable. And we've all heard the whispers, like, oh, do you see what he's wearing on right. Shabbat? Exactly, you know, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think what, what I try to do is, um, is to open the conversations and to say, okay, so what is it, not just what's the need you think you have, but what do you really need? And um, for sure, if everybody, if, there, if this was, you know, the playground in school during services, um, that would not work because it might work right, for the right, kids right, running right, around, right, although right. it might, I, I would still argue, I think that's not really good for them either. Um, but it certainly wouldn't work for those people who came looking. Okay, for hold that thought because, uh, really hold that thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that idea of the decorum and that it really, having that playground experience probably wouldn't be the best thing for children either is that slip, that, that is a brilliant perspective that we also are helping everyone understand that children just doing what comes naturally for children can sometimes um, prevent them from having the fullest experience of something. And, and because they don't know what it means to be quiet when the art gets opened or to feel the <gasps> of looking at those tours just be, a, be present in the room. So it's, there's a lot. And so I just want to take that moment that says, for all the parents who are just saying, right, I need, I need every place to just be a free-for-all and honor my child exactly as he or she is, there is that compromise, as you described in your marriage, as we describe with our children. And that is, I think, the secret of all of us growing and learning in this journey together, which is, I want to stand up for my needs. I want to know my child's needs. I want to know your needs as a rabbi. And then I want to figure out how to put all those needs together so that we can find this true collaboration that is bigger than any one of us. So just that, that, that side note that says, just remember that free for all really prevents us from having full experiences. So that self-management, self-regulation, all those things we've been talking about matter. Okay, so back to how you manage the, the, the contradictory, unspoken yeah. needs. Yeah, so then, so, so there are rules, and we do try to keep them, and we, and there are also times when those rules need to be broken. I mean, I, I think that's, that's really um, kind of the bottom line. And it's not, uh, and it's sometimes it is compromise, as you said. It's, not, you can't, it's, it's not, not perfect. It's right. messy, and it's the right. best we do on any given day. See, there's so much wisdom. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back to you, Nicole. What do you want communities and the world to see, hear, and acknowledge or love in you, your family, your children? What's the response you want from the world and, and maybe that you even get from this community? Um, 
I guess, just acceptance. Of it, but who, it's of that understanding. Yeah, let's let, tell me what what they need. What what do people need to understand from your point of view that that gets misunderstood regularly? Understand about my children, the, about my family, life today, your family life today. Um. I mean, we're that we're human. I guess that we have our good and we have our bad days, just like anyone. Okay, so you know, like I like would. to make it specific. So it's like mom being tired, kids being cranky. Like on that, remember there that question are, we had the other day? Is, are, yes, how do you are, feel today? How do I feel today? What are those I, vulnerabilities that are like? I need you to understand. This is my reality. My reality is that. Most days I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. happy with where I am, where my family is. Um, there are moments where um, my nine-year-old wakes up and something happened as soon as she woke out of, up out of bed and a little figurine that was on her shelf fell off and we're not happy about it. Or we came and we got ourselves stressed and I told... Uh, I was a horrible mother and said, actually, it's 30 degrees and you need to wear long sleeves. Oh, yes. <laughs> terrible. Um, terrible. This morning. Yep. Um, <laughs> but more days than, not, than that, um, we wake up happy and I try to tell my girls that mommy wants to start the day positively. I want to, before I get into traffic, I want to be happy. Then okay. when I get into traffic, my mood might shift. Um, but I want to... Especially being that I'm a teacher, I want to arrive to my classroom with a positive energy at more days than not. Some days that's not always possible. Um, but in general, I try to make my family a happy place and to take the time to stop and enjoy things as a family. Some days we're so busy that doesn't happen, but I do try to pause and I make it a point um, to pause, to read a book, to play a game together, to have fun. When they were little, I think it was easier to do that. You might think the opposite because, oh my gosh, they're one, they're two, but they demand that. They demand that you're sitting there with them on the floor playing puzzles, read this book right now, when they're older and they're more independent, they still need to be read to, to be talked to, to play with. And you have to make more of the effort to say, you know what, this is important. Yeah, it's about to be bedtime, but Chloe asked to play a round of categories, so we're going to play it. And we're going to take the 15 minutes to play it. Or um, she wants to read some random jokes from a book that she found because mommy told her she better clean up her mess. <laughs> um, and so she wants to tell us, tell us a bunch of random jokes about animals. I'm going to listen and then I'm going to go back to doing the rest of my cleaning. So I try to balance that. I'm not always great at it, but I do try to stop and say, you know what, this is what they're going to remember in 30 years and I want them to hold those memories. Wise mother. So also what I think is happening is, and, and it is so true, as those of us in early childhood know, I mean, we make a big deal out of how important the early childhood years are. But middle school and high school, they need you so much more. And so the other thing that I'm feeling is when you're connected to a community, 
and especially a Jewish community that is so there through middle school, through those teen years, through those youth years, and that you have family support and continuity through time, if you could stay in a place that is a true home, you, you have something that very few people in the world get to have. I'm going to send it to Victor, and then I am going to ask those of you in the audience to come to the to this audience mic in case you want to engage in some of this conversation about what it means to be a Jewish parent today, a Jewish family, and the obstacles and challenges to it. But Victor, you're the dad. So you don't, the dad. You are the dad of the day. <laughs> The capital <laughs> with a capital D, <laughs> neon. So, but so maybe you want to answer that from the personal point of view. Is what do you want people to see, hear, and acknowledge for your family, for yourself, for dads? Like, what do you want everybody to know about what it means in this day and age, the reality of being a dad? Or you can you could just answer it generally. You know about like where dads get misunderstood when they walk into a community, when they walk into <laughs> to a speaker event for the weekend and she picks on them all weekend long. But so go ahead. So uh, the question was. <laughs> um, what's for lunch? See, what's for lunch? <laughs> see me, hear me, love me. What does that mean for dads and for your family? Um, what do you want the world to know about you guys or dads? Um. I don't know. I don't think all, well, obviously we're not all the same. Um, just my family, every, everybody knows my family. Um, I know, trick question. Is there, is it, is it hard to be a dad to, these days? Yes. Are you misunderstood? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is there some way we could understand the challenges of being a dad easier. I want you on the mic next. Yeah. Go ahead. I was talking to somebody in the audience. Go ahead. I mean, what's one little thing we would help us, you know, I mean, because I watched, I mean, you are an all-in dad. You're, you're, you're an involved dad. You're a heart-open dad. I can see that with your boys just passing in a hallway. And, and, and you're like, but I'm just going to stay quiet because then nobody's going to pick on me. No, I, my kid, well, me, um, I mean, there's, you just got to like mix it up. For the quiet guys, for the quiet guys, what, what are you feeling? What, what, I was going to dad what he's feeling. You know, it's like. It's not always watch out for the quiet ones. But it's, 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 I feel like you're carrying a lot of familyness on your shoulders. Can you say what's on your shoulders right now? Oh, I got a whole lot on my shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll leave it at that. Okay, there's another dad out there in the audience. Mandy, Mandy, hold his hand and get him up there. Oh, Mandy's, no, he won't do it? Okay, thanks. Come on up. Tell us, is, tell us what you know about see me, hear me, love me for your family and for raising Jewish kids. Um, it's hard in this day and age. Um, there, all around me, there's all different uh, religions where I live, and there's maybe one other family that is Jewish, and it's hard. Yeah, talk. To, tell us about. I mean, so we love the idea. So, I mean, one of the benefits we know of being in diverse communities is that now people, the whole world knows, especially you know, in New York and in South Florida where I live, you know. 
everybody understands Jewishness way better. They understand Jewish culture way better. I mean, we there is an inclusivity where hopefully being Jewish isn't, and, and you know, the stereotypes that I heard growing up, or that, I mean, there were some horrible, horrible things, cliches out there. So those should be long gone. We, well, we, when I was growing up, people didn't think I was Jewish. People thought I was Italian. People thought I was Greek. Uh, and when they thought, I, and when they found out I was Jewish, they looked at me and go, "You don't look Jewish." I go, "What is a Jewish person supposed to look like?" Yeah, yeah. And, and do you think your children will have a different experience than that? Yes. And and so that is because so so there is the flip side of the it's hard to live in a diverse community. Yeah. You know when it was was when, when it was like these little Jewish neighborhoods where everyone shared everything and the holidays and and everything and Shabbat was so. Ob obvious. I mean, everything was just so visible. So yeah, you, there's losses and gains. But what will your boys have growing up? Um, more Jewish aspects of the religion and um, the family, how we're bonded together. And they're showing their friends a lot about the Jewish holidays and the foods. So the friends who are not Jewish, they're enjoying it. They're coming over for more stuff. So we know it's it's the, the the rituals, the traditions, the celebrations, the everything. What's it mean to be Jewish to you? It means like almost like a whole. Like I am completed. Like last year, I was completed when I became bat mitzvah, and it had a strong meaning. My nan always said to me, and my grandparents said, I have two other sisters, and out of them, I'll be the one that will continue the Jewish faith and marry in the Jewish religion because I enjoy it. I, I want to learn more. I'm eager to learn more. Thank you. Thank you. Rabbi, community changes. Um, anything to say? Changes. Oh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, it's interesting. I have this perspective because I was raised on Long Island. And when I um, was raised here... Many years ago, I was part of a community, wasn't in this exact area, but you know, my high school was 80% Jewish. And it was, it was very easy to take being Jewish for granted. It was kind of like growing up in Haifa is my, my little, my, my shortcut way to describe it. And my daughter is experiencing something very, very different um, growing up here now. The school systems are extremely diverse, and um, I think I was telling you earlier this weekend that we figured the percentage of Jews in her school district now is, you know, maybe 6% or As something. she was naming the Jewish and children she I, name. We yeah. asked her who her, who were the, you know, how many Jewish kids were in her class, and she started counting them on her fingers. That's how few there were. So for, for her, um, this, uh, having a Jewish community is um, it's an anchor. It's it's a way of, um, to me, you know, <laughs> this may sound really weird coming from a rabbi, but what I care about for our kids coming here and for my own um, is not so much that they learn Jewish stuff, though that's important, but that they have experiences of being Jewish and being proud of that and, and taking it in for their own, so that it becomes something that gets rooted in them and because 
becomes part of their um, their self identity and their self pride. And so, I think that that's really essential for parenting in general, for Jewish parenting in particular. And as we talked about Shabbat over the last couple of days, and we had the nature quote from Rachel Carson, it was, you need somebody that will help you feel. Mm -hmm. and, yes. and so that Jewish experience is going to be the memory that is real. It's not the picture from Disney. It's not the thing that somebody told you how you would feel. It was being in that room and having that firsthand experience. And then even better, to have a family that shared it with you, that talks about it, and that keeps it alive in your family's stories. So whatever your choices may be, if it's Jewish, how much more wonderful, whatever it is that's connected to your past and, and to your ancestors and to past ideas, and then move, taking that forward into a world that your children will create. I think that the depth of that comment, that the, the Jewish content, they'll Google that. <laughs> they will find that when they need that Jewish answer. But there's nothing that will ever be able to be found 10 years from now if you don't give it to them now. So that Jewish experience becomes everything. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, Lisa. I, I think I'm gonna reiterate the rabbi's point and what I was gonna say. I was 10 before I realized that Jews were a minority <laughs> because everywhere we lived, all my parents' friends, all of our relatives, my whole exposure and in those days, you know, we had black and white TVs so we didn't have the internet to give us the wider world you know, everything was Jewish that I saw. Even my school was the one or two, only one or two kids weren't. Yeah. So we didn't belong to a temple, but we had a kosher home. My grandmother was Orthodox. We went to her home because she had Shabbat every Friday. So I always knew I was Jewish, I was grounded. I knew I was Jewish. I always knew it. Wait a minute. Okay, so hold your thought there. I'm a hold your thought person. I'm, I, I apologize. I'm, I am the interrupter. But, but, but I want everybody to think about that because we talked about kids doing self-construction of their sense of self and their personhood. That was see me, hear me, love me. So I knew I was Jewish. So everybody who's listening to this podcast and everybody out there right now, just take a deep breath and think, what do my children know they are? What do you want them to know they are? Because when you know you're Jewish, and that's there could be a question that I'd like everybody to answer if you have a if you have a if your heart is shouting something out, that really is the question of what it means for Jewish parenting is what does that mean when you say I'm Jewish? But go ahead. You know, <laughs> well, well, now I was gonna bring you the dichotomy I, I of my kids who I was in an interfaith marriage, and but we had agreed the children would be brought up Jewish and their, their schools were maybe, you know, any, depending on middle, elementary, or high school, there was 10 to 25% of the school was Caucasian even. So out of that, I'm not sure how many Jewish people there even were. So it was definitely surrounded by a whole huge diversity, which was wonderful, but it didn't give them that grounding. And they were exposed to both religions in a, in a lot of ways. So I needed to give my kids a community. So they went to temple you know, preschool, and they've been in temple ever since. And that was their community, and that helped give them their Jewish identity, which they didn't really have the way I had, you know, just ingrained, so to speak. So I think that community is super important to rate to having that identity. And looking forward, what Especially do you today. hope um, for your newly married children and, and your 
yet to be imagined grandchildren. Um, what would you like looking forward for for for, for being Jewish to to Well, I will guarantee you that one of them will be Jewish all the way. <laughs> they met in Hebrew high school, so uh, they're definitely going to be continuing the tradition. The other child's in an interfaith marriage, and I did ask him about it, and his response to me was something along the lines of, "Well." Probably we're not going to just raise them in anything religiously. We'll just carry on both traditions. But if we decide on any religion, it will probably be Jewish because I care about it more than she does. Okay. And, so and, I don't and know. For the grandparents that are in the audience um, and for the grandparents that are listening, I guess what I know as being in a parent-child program at B'nai Torah for 15 years is that I see the sparks of connection, and, and even when young parents don't know where they will, what will, what will touch their hearts, something always touches their hearts. And so you never know. You just never know what your children as young adults will choose for their families, yeah. as your parents didn't really know for you. Um, and then I will come back to Didi because I know she's nodding. Um, she is. I just have one more comment. Please. It's not even about me. It's about my cousin, who is also in an interfaith marriage. And again, they raise their kids for nothing, just secular. Her older son is not interested in religion at all. Her younger son, in second grade, informed her that he was Jewish and he needed to go to Hebrew school and be a bar mitzvah. So he just knew it for some reason. You never know. You and that's what he did. So that's kind of an interesting there thing. There is, I mean, I have, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look forward to, to seeing the, the world that your children will, will create and how it will hold on to its Jewishness. Um, Didi, you nodded, nodded um, just in a sense of like how you might be different than what your parents, how your Jewish choices might be different than your parents. And then as you're thinking of that answer, if anybody out there wants to come to the mic, um, I would love to hear um, what thoughts you're having. Um, well, I mean, again, my, my parents, they, um, they took the way that they were brought up and they tried to impart that on us. And we, I mean, we had a wonderful Jewish childhood, my sister and I, we went to Jewish private schools. We grew up in Texas and um, we were very in our own little bubble. And then in my own perspective, my mom passed away when I was young. And that actually, I mean, I sat in my rabbi's office saying, why? Why did this happen? Thanks for sharing. And, um, you know, it took a long time. It took a long time. Like, I still, that was my home. I grew up at that temple. I, you know, was there from nursery school through high school. And... You know, I question things, and my husband, he is, he is a big questioner of anything and everything. He will question you to death. And it really, it took, I took a big break from, um, because I didn't know what I wanted to, what I believed in anymore. I didn't know if what my parents believed in was what I believed in anymore. And it really took having children to kind of say, you know what, I need that grounding again. I need to have that faith and that belief. And do I still believe the same way that I did when I was younger? No, absolutely not. And I do question a lot more. And I, I teach my children and I let them learn here um, things that I learned when I was younger and what the teachers here will teach them. But I do hope that they grow up to question as well. Um, and I hope that 
they can make their own choices about what they believe in because I don't think that there is one specific thing to believe in. I love it and I thank you for sharing because that again gives us another way of remembering the choices and framing the choices we're all going to make. And that is we've been talking about the messiness of life with kids. And, and I kind of maybe I lost track of messy, busy, tech-connected world, but we all know the frantic pace, the overwhelm of that. We've been talking about it here all weekend. We've been talking about how a Shabbat is that reminder that brings us to a moment of peace, but, but a moment of connection to something with other with, with a community. And, and when you describe yourself, here's the thing, in this world, they'd love you to believe that the Facebook world is real, that the Instagram world is real, that, that you can absolutely, if you make the right choices, buy the right stuff, have the right friends, that, you, that life will be easy. And it's not. I mean, heartbreak happens. And when that happens for yourself or for your children, you need to make sure that there are those connections. You cannot do it alone. And that's why, for me, you got this and you're not alone become so vital. I'm going to turn it to Rabbi, and then I've got somebody at the mic. Something to say about the role of, of connection. Yeah. No, I, th I think... Uh... I, I identify actually a lot with what you're saying, Didi, first about questioning, um, because there was a time I, I grew up actually in an unaffiliated household myself, and my journey to the rabbinate, as many of you have heard me tell, tell the whole story before, but it came through my own questioning and through somebody coming to me and saying, questioning is part of the journey. It's not separate from it. It's what it's what brings you in the door. So so. Um, it is always a challenge what we teach the kids because you want to teach some fundamentals before. But even then, I encourage them when I meet with every, as you know, because I just met with Andrew, <laughs> right, to prepare for his bar mitzvah. But with all the kids, I start with, what do you think? <laughs> do you really believe that? Do you buy that? And I really try to, to encourage that. But, but I will say also that um, the piece where community comes in um, is, is the holding. And, and, and it's the ability to, to allow for that messiness and to still be there for you. I mean, I, every, I'm looking at many of you in this room who've told me what it's like when you've had a tragic loss in your family or, or some, some kind of difficult time. And when you've been able to share that and the community shows up, that what, what that does. And it's not, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's a different kind of, holding than you get from a necessarily a close loved one, which you, I mean, you expect something different from. Um, but it's a, it's a container that says you're okay and you're going to get through this. And every mitzvah tells us how to show up because yeah. we forget. Yeah. We forget, no, I don't want to take food to that house. Mm -hmm. No, I don't want to show up. But, the, every, but mitzvot tells us, go, go, just go. Okay, Mandy, thank you for bringing this all together for us. Tell us what you're feeling as a mom. So I think it's difficult. I, like Didi, grew up, I went to day school. My husband didn't. It's a constant conversation. I have a four-year-old who's going to start kindergarten. So it's a constant struggle. I want my kids to have the same foundation and identity and knowledge that I did. It's a financial conversation. It's an idea, ideological conversation. But like the rabbi said, I, it's not so much I want them to know the laws and the and the book 
answer. I want them to have that identity and that experience. It's not so much that I want them to know, okay, this is how you do this. It's the feeling you get from it. And it's how do you do that with a kid who has ADHD or with a kid who has you know, other challenges or that's not like you. I know how to do it for me, but how do you, as a Jewish parent in this day and age, with the Facebook and the Instagram and the constant, well, I'm doing it on YouTube and, you know, well, I see, I don't know how many parents watch YouTube, but my kid's obsessed with that Ryan and Blippi and I want to take the YouTube <laughs> and throw it out the window. Who sees Ryan opening up, you know, Christmas toys and Blippi celebrating this? And, like, how do you filter that out for them at their age level and explain it to them in a way that makes sense for them on their age level but still gives them what you want them to have. Okay, we're all gonna answer that question right now, but what is your, what's your response to your own question? So it's- what, what do you think the answer is? I try different things. My kid goes to a Jewish day school, daycare. He does Shabbat every week. So I try and tack on to that. Like, you know, he's the Shabbat Abba. We make a big deal about that. He does PJ Library. We, you know, he's not so much into the books, but well, if he, latches on to something, I go and I run with it. He's not so much coming into shul, but when he does come to shul, we make a big deal about it. You know, for some reason, he's obsessed with the shofars now. I put <laughs> cotton in my ears and let him blow the shofar, and we talk about what it is. Whatever he latches on to, I try and run with it. And I'm hoping that as he gets older, we can just get more stuff into it. I love it. It's, it reminds me of all the advice we were giving last week in our classes about picky eaters. <laughs> How often do you try a new food? The old, the old rule used to be 15 times. Now the new rule is 150 or always. And, and so that's what it comes down to for Judaism. It's like you just keep offering it. You just keep offering it. You just keep being who you are. My, my favorite Magda Gerber quote is, all we ever really teach is ourselves. So you know what? You, be, you teach what you care about. You teach who you are and who dad is who refuses to come to the mic. That's okay. Um, but it's that idea that it will, there's stickiness. You can't plan the stickiness. They choose what, what, what they want to stick to. And that becomes that beautiful collaboration. But, let's, but let me ask that question of everybody on the panel. Um, how do you juggle, balance, negotiate the secular world, the world of, that, that doesn't match Jewish values or your personal values? It's not easy. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy. Um, you know, it's it's a fight sometimes. You know, um, uh, the between the two different kids and the two different ways that they learn and the two different ways that they um, make friends and talk to their friends. I mean, my daughter, she um, she's in New York City public schools, and she is, I think, one of two Jewish kids in her class, and she absolutely adores that responsibility of telling them everything that she can about the holidays and what she knows about being Jewish. She loves teaching that. Um, my son, he doesn't really talk about it that, uh, that much, but um, to see what he does as he learns. I mean, when he learns the, the Hebrew letters here every week, and I sat there going, he struggles enough with English, how is he gonna take to Hebrew? 
And then he takes, you know, speaking towards the technology aspect, he's very into a YouTuber named Dan TDM, you know, who plays Minecraft videos and all <laughs> that online. So he sits there and he takes, he, he one day he took the letters, I think we were in your office, mm -hmm. Rabbi, and he started saying some letters. He was like, and that's a gimel, and that's, there's a resh, that's er, and mm, mem, gimel, resh, mem. And I was like, what are you doing, Andrew? And he said, I just spelled grim. That's Dan TDM's dog in Minecraft. Wow. And so, thank you. Again, they will find a way. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm coming to you next, Victor, about how you manage messy, busy, tech-connected world. Um, and, but, but just, I just want to say, like, fearlessness. There, you need to have this fearlessness that says it's going to be okay, even though it's so hard. <laughs> I love that he loves to think. <laughs> Women never take time to think. <laughs> we know what we're going to say five minutes before you ask the question. <laughs> we got twin boys. One is... No... I don't want to say he's tech savvy, but he will turn off the computer, he'll turn off your phone, he'll turn on your phone, he'll go into a program for you, he'll do whatever, but it's like his attention is not stuck to it. Then you got the other one who is obsessed by, give me your phone, give me your phone, give me the iPad, give me the computer, give me this, give me this, give me this. Why can't I play this now? How long do I get to play? You got 15 minutes, that's not long enough. So being, I mean, I play video games, but I know I'm gonna set a time limit. I'm going to do this. I have my phone. My phone can go down. My tablet can go down. I don't talk on the phone. But when you, it's it's real fun to threaten. I'm going to I'm going to turn off the modem. And you should see him put his tablet down or whatever, and his eyes widen. And I, and I tell him, I go five minutes. That's getting unplugged. Give me ten. <laughs> no, five minutes. And. Within three minutes, the TV's off, the tablet's off, he's in bed or doing whatever. And you're just like, you know what? You gotta learn to pace yourself. Set yourself a time limit. We don't do the parental controls. You know, my kids are competent enough to do it on their own, but it's, they sit there and go, how do you grow up without all this? I'm like, you know what? I could still do it without it. Yeah, I love it. The voice of dad, you know, the authority. There is an authority to that voice. Um, and the other thing is the role modeling. I love it, I love it, I love it. And realizing that we're never gonna be in a non-tech world right now, but by you showing them and by you appreciating their connection to it. Thanks. Rabbi, how do you manage it? Ah. How, how <laughs> so do you, this, you manage it, how do you want parents to manage it? <laughs> right, right. So there's, it sounds like there's sort of the two different pieces. There's the tech piece and then there's the secular religious piece. Uh, the tech piece, I have no wisdom for. Right? <laughs> I think I'm struggling with that. And I think uh, um, the secular religious is, um, yeah, it's a balancing act. And it's, uh, it's hard, you know, talk about uh, pressure to be a rabbi's kid is really hard. Um, because, you know, there's an expectation. Oh, we were, uh, you know, about everything, but mm -hmm. about, about uh, what? You don't, you know, you don't keep kosher, you know, or some of our friends ask, wait, you eat pork or um, shellfish and why? And, and, you know, to be able to teach the why and the comfort with our choices as a family and my daughter's as who she is. 
Okay, so if I hear you right, you're saying that the, the communicating about it is mm -hmm. complicated and nuanced, but you feel very comfortable making the choices that are right for you. Yes. And where? how did you get to that? How did you break free of, I have to live, raise my daughter as the rabbi's daughter? Where'd you find that courage and that fearlessness? Yeah, well, I think you know, part of it comes from being part of the reform movement, where the I really believe very strongly and um, say frequently that, that the, reform, the reform movement is not about less. It's about informed personal choice. So it's really about more. It's about saying, I'm going to learn and I'm going to take responsibility and understand what I do. And I think that connects to parenting too. Yeah. You know, that, that you, um, that it's not, we're doing this because your friends are doing it <laughs> or um, because this is the right way. But rather, what matters to us and what are we going to choose? And so I, I try to incorporate that. I mean, that's not to say there aren't pressures. Yeah. Um, and the choices that we make as a family are different from what some others may make and what some uh, other clergy friends may make. You know, there are, I, it's, this is a, an older tween problem, but our school, our public school, has a Friday night rec program that takes place. Uh, um, and, you know, my daughter's not always interested in going, but there are times when there's a choice between Shabbat at Temple or going out to that, that recreational program. And I don't think the right answer is always to go to Temple. And I don't, I don't think the right answer is always to go to rec either, yeah. mind you, but, um, but making, those, uh, making those choices, talking about them and understanding the reason behind. And, and uh, I guess, you know, working our way through to a point where, you know, you feel comfortable with what you do. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and Didi, I'm just going to have you, Nicole, sorry. Uh, I'm going to have you start our wrap up. Um, but it can be still with that same question of how you manage tech busy, overconnected, all that world stuff. Um, the the, the wrap-up question is always the same. How have you got this for right here, for right now? Um, well, as far as the, the tech busy piece, um, my husband and I are in complete agreement that we're kind of against technology. And so it isn't an issue in my house. Actually, I'm probably the parent of one of the only 11-year-olds who I actually have to yell at her because we gave her a phone so that I could be in touch with her when she's at drama right, club so or you wherever. Have I have to yell at her to look at the phone. She doesn't look at the phone. Okay, she so doesn't have that in her hand ever, and she doesn't use the phone. I'm... My children are weird. I have to yell at them. Put the breakfast table this morning was put the book down. So, so how <laughs> did you? So it was just because you made a family routine choice mm -hmm. to to not have that technology we made in your family life that your 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 children just didn't get connected to it, even though there were all these external. How, how, everybody think, out there is like, really? I could have done that? Or well, I could still do that um, if they have one-year-olds? I'm a firm believer in um, what you put into them as what you value, they will take a hold of. So I value books okay. a lot. <laughs> and my husband did make fun of me. I mean, 
they were newborns and I had story time and I was very um, a little bit neurotic. She's I a had teacher. A, I, yes, we're I had neurotic. a little classroom set up in the nursery and I have to admit I had the board books and I was very, very excited okay. about reading even when she, Sanaya was in my womb. Um, reading to her at set times every day. Um, I think I put out there, this is what we value. So all day long, every day, we valued that. And they also are very aware that we don't agree with um, the overuse of technology. In our school district, all children have iPads, and everything is supposed to be on the iPad. They're well aware from my vocal efforts that we don't think that's right, and that's OK. Um, so also, I'm not on Insta I am on Facebook, but I'm not on Instagram. I'm not always doing that. My husband probably wouldn't be happy if he was here, but when he when they were younger, I mean he he loves video games, but I said we're agreeing that in front of them <laughs> we there was no video game ever on, and actually there was never the TV on. Like I would wait to watch my my, yeah, I really like reality shows, but <laughs> I would wait to watch The Real Housewives and Teen Mom till they went to bed, and I still do. I will read a book. I'll sit. Yesterday, I sat and I read a book that my oldest gave me that she finished that I read. So I'll read that while they're awake in front of them, but they don't see me viewing the TV. So, and they also. I did have rules, like, and they're still in place. They know, oh, you get two shows a day, and that's what you get. So Chloe will be like, no, oh, this is my second show. Um, so, so as far as that, and as far as the identity piece, um, they don't look Jewish. They they're they are biracial, and depending on who's walking down the street, I mean, when they were babies, and they looked, I guess, more white. They didn't have all their hair. Someone questioned my husband about, who are you? You're not their dad. When they were older, and I was online, and Sanaya was in fourth grade, and we were on the target line, and it was just Sanaya and I, the cashier actually questioned and said, you're not with her, and couldn't believe that I was her mother. So I feel like um, they it's very important that they have that Jewish identity, that, but not only that, that, that they identify with all aspects of who they are and that they're proud of that. So when Chloe goes, she takes Irish Step, and <laughs> everyone at Irish Step other than Chloe has red hair and beautiful. <laughs> and um, when my husband, who's black, uh, went to drop her off and explain that now on Tuesdays starting this year, Chloe goes to Hebrew school on Tuesdays, and so Irish Step has to be cut back a little bit. And the, the teacher's like, I am so confused about what is going on here. I have never That's beautiful. met a Jamaican Jew who's obsessed with Irish Step dancing. So I think it's very important that they feel like they can be all these different things, and that's a beautiful thing. And um, in their school, there aren't 
many, do they, I mean, they could probably count even fewer Jews on their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that are, they don't necessarily practice in, in any way. But it brings me great pride that Sanaya, year after year, has chosen to make sure everyone knows she's Jewish and this and to pick projects to show that pride. So this year she came home, ran around my house and had four friends with her. They were working on a project. They picked Israel to do their country and she was gathering yarmulkes and all kinds of props so that she could make the skit. That makes me feel proud that clearly they're proud of who they are. Love it. We could end the podcast right there if we wanted, which is to take all of the pieces of everything that we hold near and dear and know that that's exactly what we, who we are. Thank you for that. From the audience. Um, yeah. Michelle. I have a, a different perspective. My children are 32 and 35. They grew up in this congregation. Um, they were also raised in an area that was not Jewish. And so for them to have a Jewish community, and for myself as well, it was very important for me to be involved in the temple. Um, They are now since married, and I have to tell you, one son married a a Jewish woman, which is lovely, and my other son married a woman who is not Jewish, although I've had her DNA tested, and she is 3% Jewish. But have rabbis started to like do the percentages <laughs> yet? <laughs> I'm very into genealogy, so. Um, but growing up, my boys are very, very different people. And my younger son had very, very diverse friends and never a Jew among them. And so he had one very good friend, and his very good friend would always tell his girlfriends, you know if you marry Stephen, you have to raise your children Jewish. So they both have very strong Jewish identities, but chose different paths in life. Um, I just wanted to tell you more, a little bit more about our community here, because although I don't really know you very well, and I don't, didn't know Andrew before last Shabbat, um, last Shabbat we had a service that was led by Andrew's grade. And most of the people in the congregation, I would say, a great many of them did not know the family, did not know Andrew. But I have to tell you that we are all rooting for him. Thank you. Um, so every that is the power when you start overlapping the pieces within communities is that we all have our eyes and hearts opened in new ways. And I have to tell you, it, it comes from our rabbi. It comes from our clergy. I mean, because we know. We, I have witnessed her magnificence over the last three days. And, you know, I've and told her many. I, and this community is very, very extraordinary. Many, many times I've told her that, you know, I'm here every Shabbat. She keeps me grounded. Her words always resonate. Um, so, so, and just one other quick story. I have a well, close. Let me put you on the spot. Actually, okay. we have to start oh, our wrap up. I'm going to, I'm going to put you right into wrap up. How have you got this going forward for your, for your children, for yourself, for this community? So for this community, um, you've seen, we are a very, within our Jewish community, a very diverse community. Um, and, and it's amazing and it's wonderful. And, and our tagline, a house of worship that feels like home, is really rings true. Um, 
I, I have a, a modern Orthodox friend, and she tells, and she has young children. And when we were talking about the High Holy Days, and, and she said, you know, the young families there come to synagogue with these faces like, oh, I have to be here. And that's not the case here. The people who are here, we want to be here. This is our second home. The people that you've seen here all weekend are not here because they say, oh, I have to be here, but because this is where they want to be. And that is the secret going forward, is to create that magnet that says, Absolutely. come, come. It's an open place. And it comes from the top. Thank you. Uh, Didi, how have you got this? For right here, for right now, going forward. Um, Jewish parenting in a messy, busy, tech-connected world. How have you got this? Uh, one day at a time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, one day at a time, you know. Um, uh, you wake up and you, as Nicole was saying earlier, you have to start your morning and hope that your day is going to be the way that you want it to be until somebody decides that they need to go use the restroom two seconds before the bus is coming or um, you forgot to pack the lunch and they have to go or things like that. You have to take it one day at a time, one minute at a time and just hope that you're making the right choices and that you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, surround um, yourself with the people that will love you. Exactly. Yeah. You, it's, it, it really is. It's about the family and the friends and you hope that, I mean, you, you can't control who your friends, who your kids go out and make friends with. You just hope that they choose the right people. And if they come home and they say, why did somebody say this to me? Or why did they say this to somebody else? And you say, you know what? You know what you believe and you can't help somebody else make the right choices. You have to make the right choices for yourself. Victor, how have you got this? Oh, like Dee Dee said, one day at a time, be patient. Just go with the flow until it's time. Just let them do their thing until it's time to tell them to stop. It's not right. <laughs> <laughs> if I did it as a kid and it was wrong, don't do it. Like, don't jump off the roof of the house. You might break a leg. Any, anyone out there want to come to the mic and tell us how you've got this? Cheryl? Uh, Meryl, come to the mic, please. Since you were such a big help yesterday, how have you got this? Well, I told my girls at their benot mitzvah last June that I was going to still um, tell them about things that were happening at Temple because um, they need to know they have an option and they've made it very clear that they're done and that if mom says it, if mom likes it, well, we have to go do the total opposite. But I know they're 13. <laughs> um, that I know what I've given them since pretty much since birth, and what they have in them. And then when they go outside, and they're away, and they talk to other people, that they're completely different than what they show us at home. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's sticky. um, there's stickiness to what oh, you, yeah. what you gave them. Yeah. So uh, I know what they have inside of them, even if they tend to deny it, <laughs> deny, 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 and, uh, you know, when it'll serve them, they'll come back. Thank you. Rabbi, you get the final wrap-up. How have you got this? So I have uh, just two 
thoughts. Um, one related to this experience, which is uh, the power of sharing with other people and just how, um, how easy it is to feel like you're the only one struggling with something or that your story is just your story and you kind of go forward with it. So one way that I, I personally get this and that I hope that we all continue to get it is to continue to find ways to keep sharing with each other. Um, it's really just so uh, life-affirming. <laughs> That's what it feels yeah. like to me. And, and then the other piece is to just loop back to what you said towards the beginning, which is that, that um, sense of self-acceptance along as, as a, <laughs> an imperfect parent <laughs> and as one who's like work in progress. I think you Thank back. you to everyone on this panel. Thank you to everyone in the audience. Thank you, Temple Tikva. I cannot tell you how magnificent and how changed I am by spending this weekend with you. Thank you. Cheers for all of you and for all you brought up. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, 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 one more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Deerwester. And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at, at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore FamilyTime. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Littman for the great intro. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song Listen. We are listening. See you next week. <laughs>